the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing Sam Moppin Engineering. Today, I'll share a conversation I had with Jason Thompson. He's executive director of Portland Fellowship. That's coming up in our second hour. And we'll take a look at a celebration in Cambodia of Cambodian evangelicals celebrating 100 years since the Protestant gospel was brought to the country. More on that also in the second hour of today's program. I made a brief reference to it on Monday, but thousands attended a march a March for Life to celebrate the end of Roe versus Wade in Salem this past weekend. On Saturday, January 28th, over 3,000 pro-life Oregonians gathered on the Oregon State Capitol to remember the over 64 million lives lost to abortion under Roe versus Wade. This was the first Oregon March for Life following the recent Supreme Court decision that reversed the decision after almost 50 years. The uh, uh, event um, featured Representative Tracy Kramer, uh, as MC, joined by um, Marion County Commissioner Danielle Bethel and others. Just a year ago, we didn't believe we'd see the end of Roe versus Wade, commented Oregon Right to Life Executive Director Lois Anderson. Our strategy will not change post-Roe. The pro-life movement is driven by peace and compassion and will only continue in love for mothers and their children as we work to restore legal protection to unborn human beings. The 2023 March for Life here in Oregon was the first since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. However, Dobbs did not directly change policy in Oregon, where abortion is still legal until the moment of birth. In fact, taxpayer funds cover approximately 60 percent of abortions in this state, and abortions are available during every stage of pregnancy. There is work to be done. Pushed by abortion activists and Democratic lawmakers, President Joe Biden's administration is reportedly considering declaring a public health emergency on abortion, not for those who are the victims of abortion, but for those who pursue them. It's a response, he says, to the Supreme Court overturning of Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. There are discussions on a wide range of measures, the president said, that we can take to try to protect people's rights. Well, certain people's rights. The Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier uh, Becara told Axios on Monday, there are certain criteria that you look to to be able to declare a public health emergency. Of course, it seems to me for the last 50 years under Roe versus Wade, we've had a public health emergency. But Becara went on to say that's typically done by scientists and those that are professionals in those fields who will tell us whether we are in a state of emergency. And based on that, um, I have the ability to make a declaration now. This is fascinating to me that um, he's considering declaring a a public health emergency uh, because the Supreme Court said it is up to the states to determine what they will permit within their own states. The people will decide for themselves. That's how it was before Roe versus Wade. Some states like Oregon long predated Roe versus Wade and were mavericks 
in legalizing abortion. But for much of the country, that was not the case. Jackson, I I should say, uh, he went on to say the Supreme Court's radical and dangerous decision. This is quoting the Secretary of Health and Human Services. Um, has uh, precipitated a full-scale reproductive health crisis across our nation. Democrats told the president and Bakara in July, it has also plunged our health system into a state of uncertainty and upheaval that threatens patients' lives. So essentially, if the states are permitted to decide for themselves, as again was the case before Roe versus Wade, then we are somehow on the verge of utter annihilation. They went on to respectfully urge the president to quickly issue a national emergency and public health emergency declaration and use your authority under the PrEP Act to protect abortion access. Well, Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America President Marjorie Dannensfeller, reacted to the report, accusing uh, the Democrats of pro-abortion extremism that knows no bounds. They think allowing more Americans to be born is a crisis and the only solution is ending those lives through abortion for any reason up until birth. Their latest scheme would result in taxpayer-funded abortion on demand across the country with no protections whatsoever for unborn children or their mothers, including dangerous mail-order abortion drugs that put women at risk of serious complications. Well, HHS didn't immediately respond to the report for comment, but the debate back and forth continues. This is where we stand in America post-Roe versus Wade. Well, FBI agents searched President Biden's Washington, D.C. think tank in mid-November, earlier than previously disclosed, calling into question the White House's insistence that it had been transparent about the ongoing investigation into alleged mishandling of classified documents. The search, first reported by CBS News, occurred after Biden's personal lawyer discovered a trove of classified documents in the president's former office on the 2nd of November. We've been transparent in the last couple of days, well, maybe that's the uh, uh, the asterisk in, in the last couple of days, we've been transparent. Remember, there is an ongoing process and we have spoken when it is appropriate. That's what the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, told reporters just days after the news broke. The classified documents had been discovered in the Penn Biden Center. Well, the president used the offices of the Penn Biden Center after serving as vice president and stored classified documents from his tenure there. The new timeline suggests that the administration waited until after the midterm elections to disclose the first cache of classified documents. Well, since the first discovery of classified documents in November, the president's lawyers unearthed another cache of the president's personal in the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware, in late December. The revelations prompted the attorney general to appoint a special counsel in early January to oversee the investigation. The extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for the matter. Well, in November of last year, Garland appointed Jack Smith, a former Justice Department prosecutor, to investigate Donald Trump for similar matters pertaining to mishandling of classified documents, as well as unlawful interference with the transfer of power. Republicans' concerns over the handling of the investigation into the former president led Garland to address skeptics following his appointment of her. Well, according to the Presidential Records Act, all documents from the president and vice president must be transferred to the National Archives following the end of an administration. Last Tuesday, classified documents were found at former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana residence. The discovery was made by Pence staffers who contacted the National Archives. My guess is there are others who would also be found to have classified documents under the current system. How it's handled, I think, is what concerns the American people the most. Uh, first of all, the, cav- the cavalier handling of uh, these 
classified documents, whether or not too many documents are classified, as some are suggesting, and how uh, perpetrators are uh, managed, um, the difference between the White House and the former president, and we'll see about the vice president, uh, says something about how the system manages all of this, and we'll continue to follow the story in the days ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a classic interview with Jason Thompson with a Portland Fellowship here in the Portland metro area, which is a little bit redundant because I just said Portland Fellowship. By the way, it is freezing in this studio. You could hang raw meat and it would not... Uh, Decay. It is so cold in here. I understand they changed the thermostat, but if you hear something chattering in the back, that is, those are my teeth uh, chattering because it's pretty cold in here. Yesterday, too. I don't know what the issue is, but anyway, just thought you'd want to know. Portland Fellowship. Anyway, Lone Star Focus. Governor Greg Abbott announced Texas' first ever border czar to counter the Biden administration's failings. We'll see how that goes. Real tragedies. Mom's alleged um, triple murders resemble other infamous killings. And The Biden administration is proposing expanding access to no-cost birth control under Obamacare. Misleading, the president is touting an electric vehicle tax credit with a picture of himself in a luxury Hummer that, by the way, doesn't qualify for the program, so don't get the wrong impression. Experts say licensing, uh, the licensing board is using mafia-style tactics on new teachers to accept critical race theory. And bigger fish to fry, Anna Navarro claims Florida parents should be more concerned with the book bans than a mom with an OnlyFans account. Well, it depends on whether or not she's uh, the teacher of your son or daughter. Flirts with ancient blood libel. CNN is being accused of publishing an anti-Semitic cartoon. Emotional punching bag. A Reddit mom admits to feeling triggered by her own child as she tries gentle parenting. Gentle parenting. Now, my mother, my father did a great job raising us, but I wouldn't characterize it as gentle parenting when either one of them said yes we knew it actually meant yes when they said no it actually meant no if we went farther than they said we should and we were already told where the line was we understood there were going to be consequences wouldn't call it gentle parenting but it certainly was effective in a matter of time a top republican says the u.s must ditch woke to focus on military readiness to deter china well the majority of americans believe the u.s is weak Well, a clear majority of Americans consider the nation to be in a weak position as the president prepares to address the country in his upcoming State of the Union address. Nearly two thirds or 62 percent of respondents in a recent Marist poll indicated that the union was either not very strong or not strong at all, compared with just 36 percent of those who said it was strong or very strong. Independents held the most sour views, with 72 percent of that group concerned about the strength of the country compared to 69% of Republicans and 48% of Democrats. The Marist poll, President Biden's job approval rating among Americans, is 43%, identical to his ratings in December of last year. 48% of residents disapprove and 9% are unsure. While 19% of Americans strongly approve of the president's job approval or his performance, 36% strongly disapprove. In a poll, Americans say the top problem in the country is government leadership. Americans now say that a lack of leadership from the president and Congress is the country's biggest problem, outpacing inflation, the immigration crisis and the state of the economy. That's according to a poll released yesterday, despite Americans getting 
uh, socked in the wallet. The government's poor leadership took over as number one from inflation over the past year, with 21 percent of Americans naming it as the most important problem facing the country today compared to the 15 percent who said so last year. I would say that the spiritual problem in the country is probably number one. But in terms of this kind of poll where they're looking for more physical or tangible things. That was the outcome. CNN reached its lowest ratings in nine years. It's not news necessarily that CNN is not keeping up with the post-Trump administration times we live in. Despite a change in course uh, directed by the new boss, Chris Licht, following a merger between CNN's parent company and Disney. But when tanking ratings continue to sink to levels not seen in nearly a decade, it's a concern. CNN just notched its lowest ratings in nine years across all of its day parts for the week of January 16th through the 22nd of this year, averaging just 444,000 viewers in primetime, 93,000 in the all-important age 25 to 54 news demographic and 417,000 in viewers and 80,000 in the demo for the total day. It's the first time since May of 2014 that the network failed to reach 450,000 viewers. A pro-life activist has been acquitted after being charged with violating the FACE Act. Well, the federal jury on Monday acquitted Catholic pro-life activist Mark Houck, who was charged with violating the FACE Act over a 2021 skirmish with a Planned Parenthood volunteer outside a Pennsylvania clinic. The FACE Act prohibits violent threatening, damaging, and obstructive conduct intended to injure, intimidate, or interfere with the right to seek, obtain, or provide reproductive health services. Hauk was accused of physically assaulting Bruce Love, a 72-year-old clinic escort, in October of 21. However, Hauk said he spoke outside of abortion clinics each week and sometimes brought his 12-year-old son along. He said the uh, he shoved Love after the clinic escort invaded his son's personal space and yelled at him. Over a dozen pro-life activists still face federal charges brought about by Merrick Garland and Christine Clark's Department of Justice for peaceful protests outside abortion clinics, some of whom also had their homes raided by the FBI. Minnesota passed an extreme abortion bill, the Protect Reproductive Options, or PRO Act, passed the Minnesota Senate 34 to 33 on Saturday after Republicans had unsuccessfully tried to amend the bill 35 times. The bill states that every individual has a fundamental right to make autonomous decisions about the individual's own reproductive health. What started out good, every individual ought to have the right, the fundamental right to, well, apparently not every individual. Opponents disagreed. Arguably, the bill establishes a right to abortion up till the moment of birth. Republicans had attempted to amend the bill with guardrails that would restrict abortion in the third trimester, but the newly elected Democratic majority blocked their amendments. Late-term abortions are often performed by using gruesome procedures that can include, well, I won't go into detail, but it's gruesome. Um, In some cases, injecting lethal drug into the baby's heart is one method that's used. In Minnesota, it's no big deal. The Department of Justice has requested a revision of the FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried's a bail condition after discovering he reached out to witnesses in order to influence their testimony. The Department of Justice prosecutors filed the request late Friday with the U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan after they discovered a message from Bankman Freed to the general counsel of FTX on the signal messaging app, according to their letter to the judge. Prosecutions interrupt or prosecutors rather interrupted that exchange 
As a sign, Bankman-Fried may try to influence witnesses in his upcoming trial that have incriminating efforts against him. They requested that the judge revise the conditions of his bail to prohibit communications with the current or former employees of FTX or Alameda Research, the hedge fund that he founded that is also in bankruptcy proceedings, unless the Department of Justice waives the restrictions or a lawyer is present for that exchange. Republican states are suing investment managers who are compelled to invest under ESG regulations. Katie Pavlich reported that a number of Republican-led states are suing the Biden administration over a new rule that forces retirement investment managers to favor leftist environmental, social and governing um, uh, friendly companies over profits or return on investment for retirees. We're going to need the return on investment. This, of course, puts the retirement of millions at risk and turns retirement accounts into a social experiment for climate activists. It's now facing a lawsuit from Utah and two dozen other states who argue that it violates the Employee Retirement Income Securities Act of 1974, which says retirement plan assets must be held for the exclusive purpose of providing benefits to participants in the plan and that fiduciaries must act solely in the participants' interests. The GOP-led states say that by focusing on social and political agendas, plans managers uh, will be compromising the, the growth potential of participants' accounts. And West Point has reimposed rules on unvaccinated cadets. The U.S. Military Academy reimposed the restrictions on cadets who haven't been vaccinated for COVID-19 in line with an Army guidance, despite the Department of Defense's reversal on the mandate. West Point implemented a policy preventing cadets from traveling for sports and other events at the height of the pandemic, though it had been lifted last semester before being re-implemented. Just the News reported, military attorney R. Davis Younce told the outlet that restarting the, the rule feels like coercion to force vaccination on the cadets. Well, despite the lifting of the vaccine mandate, unvaccinated military members are still facing repercussions, including denial of benefits, ineligibility for promotion and or deployment and potentially diminished employment prospects for those already discharged. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Jason Thompson, the executive director of Portland Fellowship. We'll also take a look at an anniversary in Cambodia among Cambodian evangelicals celebrating 100 years since the gospel was brought by Protestant missionaries to the country. Well, continuing to take a look at the uh, at the news, Ford cut prices on their electric vehicles following Tesla. They said it is boosting production and cutting prices of its electric Mustang Mach-E crossover up to 8.8 percent on some versions. The move comes weeks after Tesla slashed prices on a number of its models. The automaker said its supply chain for the electric vehicle is coming online and it's seizing on uh, streamlining costs to lower prices. Ford also said the price cuts are part of the company's plan to keep the vehicle competitive in a rapidly changing market. In dollar terms, that's about $600 to $5,900 less than the previous sticker price on the sporty SUV, a model that hit the market in late uh, 2020 and is a direct competitor with Tesla's Model Y. GM is expected to guide toward a... uh, a roughly 20% decline in adjusted earnings per share for the full year of 2023. Ford's 2023 EPS is expected to fall by nearly 16% compared with 2022. 
U.S. stocks fell just as the Fed meeting began. The Wall Street Journal reported that U.S. stocks fell Monday with investors growing cautious at the start of a bumper week of central bank meetings and corporate earnings. Stock markets have been volatile in recent weeks, driven by signs of softening inflation and hopes that the Federal Reserve will continue to moderate and eventually halt its interest rate increases. U.S. indexes registered solid weekly gains last week, with the S&P 500 adding 2.5 percent, the Nasdaq Composite jumping 4.3 percent, and the Dow Jones Industrial rising 1.8 percent. The Fed is expected to hike rates by one quarter of a percentage point. Investors will be looking for clues about how much higher the central bank will take rates in the fight against inflation. A Martha's Vineyard lawsuit has been dismissed. When 49 illegal immigrants showed up on Martha's Vineyard last September, one would have thought the bucolic island had just been invaded by a horde of Vikings, given the response of the wealthy residents. The uh, illegal residents had been sent to the island by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a move designed to highlight Joe Biden's border malfeasance. Of course, it was less than 48 hours before all the uh, individuals had been removed from the island. But the islanders' hypocrisy had been exposed, and for this, DeSantis had to pay for the embarrassment. Democrats ran to the media accusing DeSantis of various crimes for simply offering illegals a free ticket to Martha's Vineyard. No one was uh, deceived or coerced against their will, but that didn't stop the lawsuit from being raised against the governor. On Monday, one of those lawsuits was thrown out by the Leon County Circuit Judge. Uh, who rejected the claim that the Florida Department of Transportation had failed to fully comply with public records requests regarding the transport to Martha's Vineyard. What this shows is that DeSantis has been consistently careful to play by the book. He knows how the how to engage in a political fight while avoiding being uh, tripped up by opponents who attempt to throw up frivolous legal hurdles to prevent him from succeeding. We'll continue to watch the unfolding drama in hopes that eventually the administration will do something about the southern border. Stephen Curry says, not in my backyard, the NBA superstar loved by many, Stephen Curry, who plays for the Golden State Warriors, has been a vocal supporter of Joe Biden. When it comes to politics, he checks off all the usual social justice issue boxes. However, like so many of these um, privileged individuals, when it comes to walking the walk or talking the talk, they suddenly experience a change of heart. Case in point, he owns a $30 million mansion in Atherton, California, a wealthy and exclusive community a few miles south of San Francisco. Well, recently, Stephen and his wife, Aisha, they sent a letter to Atherton officials voicing their objections to the building of a low-income development near their home. We hesitate to add to... um, Uh, The not in our backyard, literally rhetoric, but we wanted to send a note before today's meeting. They wrote safety and privacy for us and our kids continues to be a top priority. And one of the biggest reasons we chose Atherton as home, end quote. Well, this from a couple active in voicing their support for various social justice and racial inequality issues. It's yet another example of some elites who have no problem calling for others to sacrifice their safety and security for the political causes they embrace while refusing to subject themselves to those same demands. Well, Utah versus the groomers, Utah Republican Governor Spencer Cox showed some backbone on Monday when he refused to back down to the demands of the Rainbow Mafia and signed into law legislation that will protect children from being physically mutilated in service of a cult of transgenderism. Well, the bill that Cox signed will prevent children from being exploited via the deceptively termed gender-affirming care industry. 
which is a multi-billion dollar and growing industry. It bans hormonal transgender treatment to new patients who were not diagnosed with gender dysphoria. It furthermore precludes children from receiving any gender transitioning surgical procedures. Cox argued that the law was prudent due to the permanent and life-altering reality of these treatments with little existing research into the long-term consequences of such extreme actions. He noted, we sincerely hope that we can treat our transgender families with more love and respect as we work to better understand the science and the consequences behind these procedures. Utah now becomes the latest state to ban the medical transitioning of children, with 15 others looking at implementing similar legislation. Two more Memphis Police Department officers have been relieved of duty following the death of Tyree Nichols earlier this month. With the two latest Memphis police officers being relieved of their duties, the number of officers disciplined now stands at seven. Officers uh, Tatarus Ben and Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr. and Justin Smith have all been charged with two counts of official misconduct, local media reported, with one count of official oppression, second-degree murder, aggravated assault act in concert, and two counts of aggravated kidnapping. The Associated Press reported that the Memphis Fire Department officials announced on Monday that they had fired three emergency medical technicians that responded to the scene. Pakistani terrorists are using weapons President Biden left behind in Afghanistan. And a U.S. general warns the country could be at war with China by 2025. President Biden announced a date for the official end of the COVID emergency, despite a previous pandemic declaration that the Well, the pandemic is over. The fertility rate increased for the first time since 2014. And the Alzheimer's Association terminated its partnership with an assisted suicide advocacy group. Well, gas prices are creeping toward $4 per gallon for the fifth straight week of gains. And New York Republican Representative George Santos has recused himself from committee assignments. Lingering redistricting lawsuits in 15 states could reshape the 2024 political battlefield. And CNN announced a huge lineup change with Bill Maher. Fact check, mass shootings actually increased during federal assault weapons bans. Well, on this day in history, 1863, during the Civil War, the first South Carolina volunteers, an all-black Union Army regiment composed of former slaves, begins federal service at Beaufort, South Carolina. 1865, the U.S. House of Representatives joins the Senate in passing the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, abolishing slavery, sending it to the states for ratification. That amendment would be adopted in December 1865. Thank you, Lord. 1929, revolutionary Leon Trotsky and his family are expelled from the Soviet Union. 1945, Private Eddie Slavik, 24, becomes the first U.S. soldier since the Civil War to be executed for desecration, uh, desertion rather, which I suppose they could argue was a form of desecration. He was shot by an American firing squad in France. We're going to take a quick break. We'll return to more of This Day in History and more headlines when we return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, Nazareth, the comedian, is returning to Portland after three years and a pandemic. KPDQ welcomes comedian Nazareth to Portland's Sunnyside Foursquare Church. That's coming up Friday, March the 24th. Don't miss this great night of comedy and fun. Tickets at KPDQ. By the way, you can win $2,000 to spend on your sweetheart. Imagine the gift you could buy your Valentine 
if you won? Well, it could happen if you enter the KPDQ Valentine's Contest. We're giving away $2,000 to spend any way you want to make your Valentine's Day special. You can enter now at kpdq.com. That's pretty cool. Well, on this day in history, 1950, President Harry S. Truman announces he has ordered the development of the hydrogen bomb. 1958, the U.S. enters the space age with its first successful launch of a satellite, Explorer 1, with Cape Canaveral, or I should say from Cape Canaveral, Florida. 1961, NASA launches Ham the Chimp aboard a Mercury Redstone rocket from Cape Canaveral. Ham is uh, recovered safely from the Atlantic Ocean following his 16-and-a-half-minute suborbital flight. 1971, astronauts Alan Shepard, Edgar Mitchell, and Stuart Rusa, they blast off aboard Apollo 14 on a mission to the moon. 1970, McDonald's Corporation opens its first fast food restaurant in Moscow. And on this day in history, 2014, the long-delayed controversial Keystone XL oil pipeline clears a major hurdle toward approval. That's the the U.S. State Department reports no major environmental objections to the proposed $7 billion project. Oh, my, what a uh, near decade. What a difference that can make. Well, Alec Baldwin uh, has been officially charged with involuntary manslaughter in the fatal Rust shooting. The cinematographer uh, who died on October 21st of 2021 after a gun Alec Baldwin was holding was fired. Baldwin has been... um, criminally charged for his involvement in that fatal shooting that led to her um, her death. Baldwin was formally charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. Today, if we had taken another important step in securing justice for Halnia Hutchins, the district attorney said in a statement, in New Mexico, no one is above the law and justice will be served. The New Mexico First Judicial District Attorney's Office first announced Baldwin and Gutierrez Reed would be charged earlier in January. Port Wentworth, Georgia police chief Matt Libby announced his retirement Monday, less than a week after the Daily Signal reported that the police officer Jacob Kersey had been placed on administrative leave after sharing his views on traditional marriage on Facebook. Well, the news first broke of Libby's retirement Monday afternoon, reporting that the police chief was unable to say why he was retiring. Libby has worked for the city of Port Wentworth For decades in several different capacities, I think the other members of the command staff need to publicly apologize for infringing upon the rights of their officers to freely practice religion and to commit to ensuring something like this never happens again. Kersey uh, said in response to the news, I don't think they, the uh, Port Wentworth Police Department command staff, ever expected this story to get so much attention. And I think that is why uh, they thought It would go away with effectively forcing me to resign. I hope this never happens to another officer, end quote. Well, it was initially reported that Libby had resigned. About an hour later, the news outlet changed in its reporting to explain Libby was retiring. Following the retirement announcement, Libby told the local, local news that it was a forced retirement. It was not what he planned. Libby added that he was honored to serve the city of Port Wentworth and its citizens for 31 years. I'm very thankful for the opportunities the city has provided to me, and I wish everyone well. Uh, Port Wentworth Police Department was unable to reach um, to respond to more specific questions. Well, Kersey, who is 19, who began working with the uh, police department just outside Savannah, says everything was going well until the start of the new year. On January 2nd, 
He posted a 20-word message about his view on marriage on Facebook. God designed marriage. Marriage refers to Christ and the church, he wrote, paraphrasing the Apostle Paul's teaching in the book of Ephesians. That's why there is no such thing as a homosexual marriage, end quote. Well, the next day, he said he received a phone call from the supervisor who told him that someone had complained about the post. He directed Kersey to take it down. When Kersey refused, the supervisor warned him that failure to delete the Facebook post on marriage could result in his termination. He said uh, that uh, then he was contracted by Lieutenant Justin Hardy, who told him that the Port Wentworth Police Department didn't want to be held liable in the use of force situation involving someone in the LGBTQ community. Kersey still refused to delete the post. The police officer received a phone call later that day from the police department's Major Lee Sherrod ordering him to come to the office following the following morning on the 4th of January and turn in everything he had that belonged to the city. He told the Daily Signal that he believed he was going to be terminated. When he arrived at the police station, the young officer met with the uh, uh, police uh, with the police superintendent, the major uh, general or whatever his name was. When he arrived at the uh, police station, the young officer met with Sherrod Hardy and the captain. He was uh, told that he was being placed on administrative leave while the city investigated to see if he could keep his job. He was told that uh, he was wise beyond his years and old soul and that they brag on me all the time, but they couldn't post things like that, end quote. Well, Kersey said Libby told him that his Facebook post on marriage was the same thing as saying the N-word or the F-word um, to all homosexuals. Kersey said uh, his captain told him. Well, after a week of paid administrative leave, Kersey met again with the leadership of the police department. He says he was informed that he no longer was an administrative leave and would not be fired, but that he could not share opinions on social media that could be uh, considered offensive. Well, Kersey says he was told that he could post scripture verses but could not work as one of the department's officers if he continued to share his interpretation or opinion on scripture if it was deemed offensive. Well, his uh, supervisor cited separation of church and state as the reason why he couldn't post such views. Kersey said police officials told him that they were developing a new policy to guide officers on what they uh, were and were not allowed to post on social media. Next, he received a letter of notification from the uh, police um, leadership. The letter explained that, that although Kersey is entitled to his own personal beliefs, he should be reminded that if any post of any of our social media platforms or any other statement or action uh, renders you unable to perform and to be seen as unable to perform your job in a fair and equitable manner, you could be terminated. Well, four days after the date on the letter, on January 17th, Kersey formally resigned from the Port Wentworth Police Department. I decided to resign because I just didn't think it wise to go back and play their game, Kersey said. Um, the way things went down, I didn't feel it as uh, if my command really had my back. So a rather interesting exchange among police officers trying to navigate in a very contentious environment. Well, a Democratic lawmaker in Nebraska is being accused of anti-religious bigotry by Republicans after she purported to ban children from attending church youth groups or vacation Bible schools. State Senator Megan Hunt says her amendment, which would ban children under 19 years of age from attending a religious indoctrination camp, is intended to kill the underlying bill, LB 371, a measure put forward by Republicans to ban minors from attending drag performances as if they were morally equivalent. 
Well, the text of the amendment asserts there is a well-documented history of indoctrination and sexual abuse perpetrated by religious leaders and clergy people upon children. It is a tongue-in-cheek response to Republicans who have said children should not be exposed to explicit sexual content at drag shows. This is an amendment that I will use to make a point, Hunt said. This amendment obviously won't pass, and I would uh, withdraw it if it had the votes to pass. It is a device to make a point, so there is no need to worry, end quote. So wasting the lawmakers' time. But GOP lawmakers accused Hunt of, at best, not taking her job seriously and, at worst, displaying commendable intolerance. The bigotry she's shown is in thinking this same amendment and perhaps her job is a joke is alarming, one Republican state lawmaker said. I second Senator Slam's a Slama's remarks, said another state senator who introduced LB 371. That amendment is a great example of the far left's repeated attempt to demonize Christian patriots across Nebraska. End quote. Well, Hunt's amendment states that abusers within churches and other religious institutions often use these events to ply their trade. Of course, they are legally held accountable for and those who are a part of a church organization are required by law to report that kind of activity should it be discovered. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, my conversation with Jason Thompson, Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. There's a short list of people that I would put on my most favored list, and among them is Jason Thompson. He's Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. And it's been a while since I've had you here, Jason, and I just wanted to uh, invite you in to kind of catch up and introduce Portland Fellowship to folks who may not be familiar with the ministry. First of all, Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much, Georgine. It's always, always a pleasure to be with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, Jason, let me invite you to introduce newcomers to Portland Fellowship. Yeah, we used to call ourselves the church's best-kept secret. I don't know if that's a proud statement, but the reality is I'm that— I'm hoping it's, it's less true now yeah, exactly, than it was then. Exactly, over the years, right? We, uh, we are a ministry that serves men and women who are struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction and gender confusion. And uh, it's very important to add that word unwanted because in this world where it's highly controversial, this issue, very personal, um, it can seem like we're, we're doing ministry to people who are not wanting it. And so to make it very clear that we minister to those who already have a conflict between their sexuality and their faith, the Lord is already doing a work of conviction and leading, and we come alongside and support, encourage, and do discipleship. So that's our primary focus as well as ministering to men uh, to to mothers fathers family members who have loved ones who have embraced a gay identity have no interest in what portland fellowship offers and that is to walk in a transformational process and so the question for for the family and friends our hope group is what we call it is how do we love those who are in our life without compromising our biblical integrity and convictions. And that is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's an amazing place for family and friends to, friends to come together and care for one another, encourage one another, offer tips and potentially advice. But, but really, it's about taking an honest look at, at the family unit, their own life, and the way they interact, and just begin to deepen their trust in God as they love those who are lost and confused. Yeah, love them well. Yeah. used a phrase a moment ago, transformational process. Mm. It's not an event. This is a process. Yeah. Now, I, I'm a sinner, 
there are areas that I struggle in. And God is so gracious to work me through toward toward holiness. You know, I, I'm not going to reach perfection in this life, but talk a little bit about what you mean by that yeah. in a culture that says, first of all, it's not um, it's not uh, possible and it's not something you ought to pursue. Yeah, the culture is is very loud on that. In fact, I, just the very nature of what we do is such an offense to our culture today. Um, and yet, I think there's a misunderstanding. And, and exactly what you're saying is it is a process of recognizing who uh, people are in Christ, recognizing the brokenness that has led to the counterfeit desires. And again, all these words are, are an offense to the culture, but it's it's true in the sense of God designed us to live a life that's that that he planned for male and for female, not necessarily for marriage or having a sexual a union with the same, but growing and maturing in who we are as men and women. And so that is our process: is recognizing where did something go off track, where did a a need or a wound begin to form and shape someone in a way that was not God's original intent, and then lead them toward God's original intent using the Word of God. Uh, the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement from the body of Christ. This is all a process. Another assumption is that it's kind of like a light switch where we pray away the gay. We say a good prayer over them, we flip the switch, and then they go from gay to straight. (laughs) And it's like that has to be completely dismantled because of what you said, Georgine, is that in all of our lives, no matter what we struggle with, there is a process. We we see this with just children. Mm -hmm. You don't expect a five-year-old child to in a prayer or two or or an event to become a mature adult ready to get married and have kids. That's ridiculous. We would never assume that. Well, it's the same thing. There's a sense of relational brokenness, wounds, and a need to grow into the man or the woman that God designed. And so that takes a lot of patience, kindness, instruction, encouragement, humility on our part as leaders, um, not saying, look at me, this is how it's done, follow me, but rather constantly pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him do the work of transforming hearts and minds, renewing um, the, the minds that have been led astray. And as we were saying just briefly earlier is that the the culture has, has completely confused us. So the battle is great, not mm-hmm. only internal struggles that one has to deal with, but the constant pressure from the world that says that type of work, that what we call conversion therapy or or uh, manipulation of people, um, they have to wrestle through that. They have to wrestle through the church's silence on this issue and really be listening to what God calls them to walk in this wholeness and this healing that that is possible with God. I know that uh, we talked about the culture within the church. We would all agree that that God has, by his Holy Spirit and through the work that he does in and through us, he transforms us. But there has been an exception carved out yeah. in which this particular area, um, God is powerless. Yeah. Can you address that? Because even within the church, this has become controversial, despite the scripture's clear teaching about how God has power over the flesh and to transform us yeah. uh, and to complete the work he began in us. I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded by that. And it's actually truly saddening to see many, not all the church, I don't throw the church under the bus, but there are so many within the church that begin to hear this message of this is the best it gets. There's a whole, a whole group of individuals that would say, yeah, God didn't uh, permit homosexual behavior, but 
you were born this way, and this is your label, if you will. You're a, you're a celibate gay Christian. That's who you are. Now you have to be obedient to it, and I applaud the obedience. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as though there's a whitewashed tomb mindset, or we believe in his, his, his work on the cross, but we deny his power to transform lives. And that's saddening to hear because I truly believe God wants us to move toward his original intent. The, 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 again, the the thing people automatically think of is, well, then, are you talking about perfection or or never having a struggle again or 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 going from gay to straight? None of that is communicated in saying moving toward mm-hmm. his original intent. Scripture says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Why in the world would Scripture say be perfect when there's no way we're going to ever be perfect this side of heaven? Because that's what we move toward. And so when we lose the power of, of God's transforming message and, and his ability, and we know God is able. We say this all the time. He's able. We see this with testimonies galore, people who were once wife beaters who are now free from that anger, people who were alcoholics who once had, can now lay that down and live a sober life, a pleasing to the Lord. But you're right, Georgine, there's, there's something about the homosexual, transgender, gender identity issues that says, well, well, God can't do that one. <laughs> that one. He's powerful, but not that quite powerful. And that that's sad to know and to hear, and I think is a huge obstacle for the body of Christ to come to a ministry like Portland Fellowship to walk in that wholeness and that healing. Yeah, it sort of deprives an individual of the freedom that God intends. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's sad to me because it, it is um, a deprivation of that, that yeah. freedom that God's yeah, and, and and I and I would not be sitting here talking to you in the or audience to say this is ethereal. I read this in some textbook. Uh, I just kind of sort of believe it. Those those people need to to walk through this process. This is my story. I was deeply confused uh, about my masculinity and my attractions and affections toward the same sex, which I call very clearly a counterfeit to what the real need was, my real need to bond with the same gender, with God the Father first, with my own father, grow in my own masculinity. And so all these things were derailing that process, and God got a hold of me, and through the ministry of Portland Fellowship that I now direct and serve at, he walked me through this process. And it was not an overnight process. Mm -hmm. It was a process of continuously feasting at his table, confessing my sins to one another, walking in this process of renewing my mind and heart, being involved in the local church to build me up, setbacks as well as victories. But the bottom line was my heart and my mind were always toward what he has intended, no matter my setbacks and victories, it's going forward. And because of that, I can say with complete integrity that God has transformed my heart and my mind. I don't crave the counterfeit, the desire to have another man fill a void in my life or a need. But through this process of healing, there's a wholeness that's taken place that then allowed me to have amazing blessings, which I could share about those amazing blessings that I would never have imagined when I was 16 years old. What you've described is really the walk of every serious believer. You may fill yeah. in the blanks with different kinds of sin. We all live in the flesh and we all struggle with our sin nature. But what you've described is what God intends for every believer without exception. Absolutely. Yeah. It, the, the, the other sticking point is, in no matter what your struggle is, if the goal and the outcome is to just be free from alcohol or be an abusive husband or or pornography or homosexuality, we're on the wrong track. Mm-hmm. We're on the wrong track because the, the track or the hope and the goal is to find our favor and love in the power of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. In other words, if those temptations and struggles continue as you're going through this, 
so be it, because God will sustain you through it. Because the goal is not becoming from gay to straight. The goal is becoming broken to whole. And so it's like the the idea that he can rescue us in the fiery pit. But even if he doesn't, Scripture Mm -hmm. says. In other words, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And so if our goal is on the outcome of freedom, we're on the wrong path. Our goal needs to be on Jesus who does that freedom, and then whatever he wants to do, you will not be disappointed. Whatever that may be, you will not be disappointed. Amen. We're talking with Jason Thompson. He is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with the executive director of Portland Fellowship. And if you're unfamiliar with the ministry, let me encourage you to check it out. They're doing some significant ministry in our community and are affiliated with similar organizations across the country who are doing great work. Anyway, Jason Thompson is executive director, and it's always a, a pleasure to have you with us. Now, COVID, uh, the COVID years, as I've come yeah. to refer to them, <laughs> impacted every ministry, every walk of life. How, is, how has that impacted Portland Fellowship and the work that you do? Because it's very relational. Yeah, we have, we have gone for years doing a basic program uh, in-house uh, discipleship programs and and support programs. When COVID came along, of course, it shut everybody down for us for a moment. So we had to quickly do what a lot of people do and go, oh, what's this Zoom thing? <laughs> Let's do this Zoom <laughs> thing. Well, once we started the Zoom thing, we realized people, the word got out that people that were not in our local area were wanting exactly what the discipleship program offered. So we started to get calls and connection from all over the country, even outside the country, wanting to join us at Pacific time, which is 7 p.m., which means sometimes it was 1 a.m. <laughs> their mm. time. But these were people desperate for community and connection and encouragement. So what happened with COVID, as you asked, is it broadened our ministry. It expanded it. I think it's fascinating. It's like the early church when the persecution was happening. It didn't kill the church. It expanded it. So not for a second when I say thank you, Lord, for COVID, but, but thank you for what you did because of COVID. So we actually have expanded our ministry uh, beyond the local area of Portland. Uh, I like to say, you know, Zoom is a, is a great provision for information, connection, prayer, hearing one another's hearts, it never will um, trump the real-life in-house mm-hmm. relationship and the, the, the praying the hands-on, the prayer in the same room. But what amazing provision God has offered for people out in the middle of nowhere with v- no resources but maybe a book or a blog that they can read. Here we have a chance to connect. So we do. Every week we have a Zoom call. I run the Zoom programs. I actually love them. Most people I work with that serve help serve me hate Zoom, so they want nothing to do with it. <laughs> God has somehow given me this 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 passion to want to sit on a screen and, and meet people from around the country I would never have met before in my life. And it is powerful. You would think those little Zoom calls would be like a little bit awkward and in flat, but it's really a chance for for God to work in each of those person's life to be honest and vulnerable about failures and victories. We can pray for them, encourage them in the faith. 
And so I've been very excited by what by COVID, and what, or at least what it did uh, to advance the ministry. Well, and just like the scripture says in Romans, God is working all things together for the good exactly. of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he uh, he doesn't invoke COVID, but he uses every negative uh, circumstance to advance his kingdom yep. and to strengthen his people. What the enemy intended for yes. harm, God used Absolutely. for Absolutely. Now, I should mention that Portland Fellowship and you in particular are highly respected around the country and around the globe for the work that you have done. Some of the programs that you have written that have extended beyond the Portland metro area have, have really had an impact in the kingdom of God. And I want to commend you for mm-hmm. that. Thank in you. fact, I um, had the opportunity to MC once again this year at the Restored Hope Network's Hope 2022 conference in June. And um, you received the best new healing resources um for Hope Group, the online program, and that's a national award. You were recognized for that uh, because it's having such an impact here at home and certainly abroad. And you've been innovative in developing curricula and for the breaking ground and, and different ministries that are really impacting not just here in Portland, which was would be significant enough, but in places beyond um, our borders and uh, in other parts of the world as well. So I just want to commend you for mm, your faithfulness, you. your innovation, your, your um, focusing all of your uh, considerable talent for the ministry that is reaching people all over the globe. And I think uh, people here in Portland should be aware of the significance of this ministry and the, your role in it. Oh, thank you so much. It, it actually was a lot of fun. I, I've, I've worked there now for 30 years, been there for 33 years. And each year, it's like, Lord, I need some 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 new exciting project or an opportunity to minister in a different way. Never losing the core message; it's never changed. Mm-hmm. Not one iota. We're we're very actually very simple in our message. It, it's 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 a, just a two two sentence byline, really. But the way we carry that out has grown, has advanced, and uh, I just am grateful to the Lord for the people that come around to help doing the editing and the filming and all these things that have allowed us to. Frankly, reach the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to develop a resource that's um, again innovative. It's uh, uh, what's the word I'm I'm looking for? It's relevant, and people are really being ministered to. We'll talk a little bit about the Hope Group Online. Who is it for, and what what takes place in these connections? Yeah, we we did have Hope Group Online. We just recently changed it to pfhope.com. So that's and it's all found at portlandfellowship.com. Mm-hmm. If people get lost. Because what we were initially doing was having a video track for family and friends. Again, as I mentioned earlier, how do you love well without compromising? That's a tremendously difficult process. Um, And so we have a track for that. Another ministry came alongside us and did a track for transgender uh, understanding. And then we created one for the summer called The Journey. And that wasn't is less about family and friends and more for people who are, who are just getting their feet wet with this and wanting to know, do I want to commit to a two-year process, mm-hmm. which is our Taking Background program. And so it's a, a eight-week video series, about 10-minute little video clips with, a, with some questions in the handout. And we spent once a week for an hour and a half working through – and it's a really a parallel between the process of the Israelites coming out of bondage in Egypt – through the wilderness to the promised land. Then we made the equate equated that to bondage in your sin, trusting God in the wilderness, and what is this promised land ultimately? That's mm-hmm. our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we get we get shadows of that in this world about freedom and walking in his kingdom. So it was really quite a, a, a fun thing to meet new people, come on in and work through some stuff that was actually pretty challenging for people, but because yeah. uh, we're looking at Old Testament and how God responded to the people, and so how that it correlates to to now uh, 
uh, was a challenge, but a wonderful one. So that's on our site as well. And that's our hope is to continue to create little tracks for maybe pastors, wives that have love with their husbands who are, who are struggling with this. And wives go through a whole different ball game of just of, of feeling betrayed and how to respond and and uh, how to love the husband well. So we're, we're hoping to put things like that together in the years to come. i got a few more years left in me, so I figure <laughs> I we'll do so. a few more to go. <laughs> You're still a young man. <laughs> I feel old, but yes. Thank how, you. how is the church connecting with Portland Fellowship? And I'm thinking more of the local church. I know there are churches elsewhere, but um, is the church connecting with and taking full advantage of the tremendous resource that you have to offer? I, I, I truly want to stay just really positive, as a Christian should. It's like, yes, the church blesses <laughs> us and joins us. Sadly, there's and, and I don't totally fault a church for this. Maybe I should, but I don't fault <laughs> that there is this is so controversial, and that if you speak in terms of redemption and transformation, you could talk about it in the light of sin. But we have to unpack that. You can't just say it's sin. You got to explain why, what God's original intent is, what His purpose is, and anything outside of that is contrary to God's will, and so it's sin. So when a church is wanting to focus on bringing new people in and discipling the, the the people of God, and then you bring in this topic that already is just a, a hot button for people, it, it 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 can cause pastors and leaders to say let's let's not go there, hmm. let's just not go there. I now think this is despite the fact that there may be congregants yeah. who are struggling with these issues. Yeah, just on the side. struggling, but also congregants that are have loved ones who are gay and they love their gay loved one and yeah. don't think they need to change. And then it's all of a sudden you got you got fist bumping and figuring mm. out. So there, what really needs to happen is talk about God's purpose and plan to share with the people of God using God's word. It's got to be done with grace and truth always. And I think the church has erred on the side of truth to where now it's like, well, wait a minute, let's just not talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And conversely, there's a lot of churches, and this this grieves my heart more than any of it, more than the silence, is churches that are extending this this kind of artificial grace or this greasy grace, some people would call it, where it's like God's, God loves you, end of story, period, no matter where you're at. He loves you. No more to the discussion. You're gay? He, lo- he loves you. And I'm like, he loves you enough not to leave you in your brokenness is what needs to be added to that conversation. And that's the story of every believer. Exactly. Um, why would he leave one particular group and, and you know, make, again, the exception? Exactly. I don't see that in we, we cannot separate. Now, there are nuances with same-sex attraction that need to be identified that's different than maybe somebody with anger issues. There are. There, there are things going on. There are certain wounds that are different, ways mm-hmm. you perceive yourself about your gender, that a typical guy dealing with pornography isn't necessarily dealing with those things. So it's okay to parcel them out and work through those things. But at the bottom line, we all fall short of the glory of God. And the answer is always the same, and that's our Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now, how we how we walk that journey out, it's going to be a little different here and there, but the answer is always the same. Always the same. Yeah. We're talking with Jason Thompson. He's the executive director of Portland Fellowship. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm talking with Jason Thompson. He is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. It's a tremendous ministry in our community, but its reach extends far beyond the Portland metro area, the state of Oregon, all around the world with some of the 
amazing ministry tools that they have developed. By the way, if you'd like to learn more, you can go to their website at portlandfellowship.com. We've been talking about a number of things, the journey. We've been talking about taking background and other uh, programs that you have. And if you are a, a church leader and you would like to learn more, how do I speak to a congregation in a way that is consistent with a biblical worldview that is spoken in grace and puts it in perspective that is is uh, that reflects God's heart? Portland Fellowship can help you do that. And I am so appreciative of the work that you do and how you address the issue um, that is uh, that does reflect the Father's heart. Uh, but at the same time, gives us the opportunity to to seek freedom uh, through the work of oh, His Holy it's Spirit. It's been such a joy to have you as a, a friend of the ministry for, uh, frankly, as long as I remember being there. I've been a long time, so, but also a personal friend. So thank you for standing alongside, even with such pressure that exists out there. Mm. But to hold to God's truth in Him, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. <laughs> it's yeah. like to hold to His truth. Yeah, and I, you know, I've had the opportunity at Portland Fellowship events and Restored mm-hmm. Hope Network events to hear the amazing testimonies of God's grace and the work in the lives of individuals, whether they were um, same-sex attracted or they were uh, transgender uh, at some point. It's amazing to hear what God is doing. Mm. And uh, sadly, and I think this is the enemy's primary goal, is to silence those voices so we don't hear them and have any hope at all. Um, but I, I, I just am grateful because I've seen what God is doing. So you can't help but press ahead yeah, once you. Absolutely. I could not be here after 30 years. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Without seeing not only in my own life, but the men and women who come through this process and see victory after victory. Again, you have to see this in a, a maturation process, a slow, transforming, sanctifying work. But each step of the way, there's there's those moments to celebrate God doing a deeper work in each mm-hmm. person's life, and that that's the joy that keeps me going on. It's it's not the curriculum or the resources; those are fun to do, but it's seeing God at work in His people. Absolutely, and that ought to be the joy of the whole church. Yeah, that's know? right. That's seeing right. that, uh, that's right. seeing that He's keeping His promises. Now, what can we do as the general public, as the the Church of Jesus Christ? What can we do to support you, to encourage the work, to come alongside? Even if we're not uh, directly tied to this issue, how can we encourage you in this ministry? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the golden parachute answer, if you will, is to pray. Uh, the, the The attack is is so great at times. The spiritual warfare is tough at times. I'm, I'm I'm sharing right now with you with a lot of glee and happiness and joy. But if you take me to those moments where it's like the mm. pressure and the insults and and uh, the controversy that. And even some of my own vulnerabilities and, and, and moments where it's like not leading perfectly at times. It's all those things can be a pressure. So just asking the body of Christ to pray for Portland Fellowship. Um, we, we know that no matter what, that, that with that, God is going to do miraculous things. Um, to also hear this message, a simple message that I'm sharing today is that is recognizing that homosexuality is not a fixed state. It's not a genetic inborn state. But most importantly, there's hope and freedom for those who are struggling with this issue. And for those who aren't struggling, who are embracing it, I've heard over and over again, this is what's in a fascinating story that I hear throughout ministry, is that people who are, who are pro-gay, they're, they're Christian, gay Christian or whatever, pro-gay, and they are um, maybe even advocates to the gay community – they come to me. This isn't a ton of stories, but enough for me to go, this is fascinating. They know every day they're not, this is not true. 
that this is not right. They know in the in the heart of hearts that the, that still small voice of the Spirit of God convicting. And so to pray for those people who seem lost and deceived and angry and bitter and hurt, I pray for those because I've seen it where people – just recently a story like that where it's like, I'm done fighting it. I want to return to the Lord and trust him mm. with my sexuality. And so uh, one of the grievous areas of my ministry is watching people who I've served alongside – who buy into the lie again, who fall into the trap, who indulge the flesh. flesh, And um, and my prayer for them is they'd return, that God is gracious. He stands at the door and knocks and says, please, let me in. I want to I be part of your, your life and, and welcome you into wholeness and healing that's found in me. And so pray, pray, pray. Obviously, the support of the ministry, uh, you know, I, I don't emphasize financial support, but obviously that's part of the, the, the journey. But God has always been faithful through his donors. We have a small donor base. You want to be part of our, our family? <laughs> it's not a huge family. Uh, we'd love to have you a part of that. Um, so coming alongside, sharing the message of transformation and wholeness, going to your pastor and letting them know to not be shy about this, but, but to do it in a way that's filled with love and grace. That's how that's how Jesus did. He first met mm-hmm. people where they're at. He listened well. He offered up grace, whether it's giving some water or healing, whatever, and then he gave truth and instruction. That's kind of the format, and we need to do the same thing. Don't dive in there with the truth. You know, sin is wrong, <laughs> or a gay <laughs> is wrong. Uh, so uh, to really enter into the relationship in a way that, that, that fosters a, the love of Christ for them and brings them through a journey of wholeness and healing one day. Mm, and that's that's entirely possible because um, while my set of sins might be different, that's how God ministered to that's my heart. Right. That's how I came to know him. And I, I, lo- I love that about each time you're saying this because it's absolutely true. It's not a unique story. Mm-hmm. We're all fallen. And so, yeah, the nuance is different, but yeah. We can plug our own sin. My wife is actually helping out in the Taking Back Ground program. For, she hasn't done that for years, and she doesn't struggle with this issue. But but the ladies really identify with her because she can enter into this and say, these are my issues and my struggles. I'm no different. And there's a commonality and yes. an understanding and even a measure of normalcy, not in, a, in an affirmation way, but in a way that says we all fall short. And we're all in this together. Yeah, it's as if that's where, I don't know, in the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, somewhere I think it was exactly. <laughs> now, let me um, ask you to, to speak for just a moment to family members and friends who are concerned about a loved one. Uh, the relationship may be um, intact. It may be non-existent. Maybe there are bridges that have already been burned, but they desperately love and mm. long to have relationship with their loved ones who have walked away into a lifestyle that is... Uh, inconsistent with their their Christian worldview. Uh, By way of encouragement, what can you say to those who want to perhaps go through a program that can help them understand and then to relate in a way uh, that extends that grace and love without compromise? Yeah, quickly, the first two things you said are reiterate, and that is to keep loving, loving well. And love as Christ does. Love does not mean affirmation and endorsement of sin. That's the confusion I think people are wrestling with, that I have to somehow accept this, to be loving. No, no, love is, is hard. But keep loving, keep praying for your loved one, recognizing the story's not over yet, and God has more resources than you can possibly imagine to to reach your loved one. As far as you personally walking through this, there's there's lots of good books on it. I love Joe Dallas's books on oh, this issue. Yes. He's one of my favorite. He is my favorite yeah, author. Yeah, mine too. Cy Rogers, the late Cy Rogers, has amazing stuff too. We personally have a program we put together. It's called uh, the Hope Group Online. 
Uh, it's a video series, and we actually offer it on Zoom. We're just finishing up for this year, but we'll probably start it up again so we can get parents together, watch the videos together, and process the material together. I, I like to to be honest and upfront. It's a little bit of a bait and switch. Parents come in because their son is gay or daughter is gay, and they want to know how to fix them. And when they come in, we're like, let's take a look at your own heart first. Mm. Let's take a look at your walk with the Lord. I know that's not what you signed up for, but let's do this and see how what God does in you can then overflow to your loved one, whether it's communication, your heart, your love for them, your love for the Lord. And so uh, it's that can be the challenge. Like, pause. We're not going to talk about your son for a moment. Uh, so I don't want to scare, scare any parents away. I think it's a wonderful journey of of allowing God. It's the idea of search me, O God, and know yes. my heart. Try me. Know me. And then allow, and then fill me. And, and ultimately, my hope is that the overflow of what God fills you with is what your loved ones might experience and see in their life. And, and it's an encouragement place as well, just to know that we can't fix our loved ones. We need to put them in the hands of the one who can, our, our Lord Jesus. And so it's really a great encouragement uh, to to um, do that with one another in a place where we're not going to be shaming, not going to be ridiculing. There's a lot of patience and grace for mistakes, um, but a beautiful community of, of growing together. Amen. Well, again, Jason Thompson is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. You can check them out online at portlandfellowship.com. And is calling a good way to connect as well? Yeah, uh, yeah. calling, um, you know, uh, email is is easy to um the website is a great place to just get the big picture mm-hmm. if anybody has any questions. I encourage anyone to call with the toughest questions you have. It doesn't mean I'm going to have the answer for it because I'm not the, the know-it-all. But I love it when people call and say, I want to know what you really believe here. Because there's so many different voices. I personally wouldn't trust someone just because they have a Christian mm-hmm. and a homosexual attached label on their ministry. I don't. In fact, I, I'm leery of some of them. And so if... If you're leery at all of a Portland Fellowship or you're just uncertain about things, we welcome the call, a coffee appointment. I mean, I get to work there full time. The God has given me the, the opportunity to work there full time. So that's what I get to do is sit with parents, have coffee, go to lunch, come to my office and ask the tough stuff. And let's wrestle through this together. Amen. PortlandFellowship.com. The telephone number 503-235-6364. Jason, thank mm. you for your faithfulness. Thank, and thank you. you so much for your team that works alongside you. They do great mm. work. And I'm grateful that God has put you right here in the Portland metro area to do the ministry that's touching the world. Awesome. Thank you, George. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, born again and again, that's how Christianity Today characterized it. Cambodian evangelicals celebrated their 100th year. And the century since the arrival of Protestant missionaries, the church has been wiped out by genocide, forced to rebuild, and now it's time for the gospel to shine. So says the Cambodian church. Well, the Cambodia Gospel Centennial Celebration, it's a festival in Phnom Penh, uh, commemorating the arrival of the country's first Protestant missionaries back in 1923. I just finished the Mission Connection event a weekend or so ago. And you consider back in 1923, they went into Cambodia with the sole purpose of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now they're celebrating their centennial, acknowledging 
the faithfulness, the courage, and the determination of those who first came in 1923. Well, during the final week of preparation, they've stayed in almost constant contact to assure that every detail is perfect and the celebration's vision statement is fulfilled, which is that Cambodia would become the aroma of Christ in Asia and around the world. Wow. If you're not encouraged by that, I don't know what will encourage you as a follower of Jesus. There was a large open air exhibition area with the elaborate uh, layout. It's uh, welcome those who made the journey to the capital's Diamond Island District with zones for exhibitions, concerts, dances, children's activities, food and prayer. The main stage area was large enough to accommodate the 10,000 plus attendees. Who, uh, who attended. And while there have been uh, sizable Christian gatherings in Cambodia in the past, many have primarily been led and funded by organizations from abroad. For example, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association held a rally in Cambodia in 2019, the uh, first event in Southeast Asian nation for that organization. But this time, the driving force has been Cambodian believers themselves, including Evangelical Fellowship of Cambodia. Only three of the 18 members of the executive committee were foreigners, and about three-fourths of the $228,000 that was raised for the celebration came from inside the country. Well, Christians from all classes uh, had given money and time to make the celebration a reality, according to a pastor, New Life Fellowship in Phnom Penh. Uh, who leads the executive committee. Some contributed as little as 25 cents because that's all they could afford, but they still want to support the effort. They gave because they believe it's time for the gospel to shine in this nation, he says. I've, um, I've never seen unity in the body of Christ in Cambodia like this before. Now let's just pause for a moment and consider what he's saying. I've never seen unity in the body of Christ in Cambodia like this before. A lot of people have been praying for Cambodia and dreaming to see Cambodian people have an encounter with God. The prayers have worked. They have been answered. Well, there's data to support the sense of progress felt by leaders in the uh, in the country on the ground. According to the World Christian Database, Cambodians' Christian population grew more than any country in Southeast Asia from 2000 uh, to 2015. By 2020, almost 3% of the population is Christian. Now, that may not sound significant by way of per, uh, percentage, but when you consider where they began... Looking back to 1923, it's really quite impressive. And it only took, what, 12 to turn the world upside down in those early disciples? Though a smaller percentage than in several nearby nations, it's remarkable figure considering that there were nearly no Cambodian Protestants at two points in the last century. When two American missionary couples from the Christian and Missionary Alliance arrived in Phnom Penh back in 1923 to plant churches and translate the Bible into Khmer language, They had little foundation to build on. French colonial leadership forbade Protestant missionaries from entering the country before that. Well, at that time, the small Roman Catholic presence in the country, dating back to the 16th century, was largely disconnected from broader Cambodian society. Efforts by foreign Protestant Bible societies to translate the scriptures into Khmer stalled decades earlier. Only the Gospel of Luke and Acts were Uh, completed, and the French colonial government opposed the distribution of that translation. A hundred years ago, the CMA missionaries were able to secure permission for their work. They started to see slow but meaningful progress. 
From these humble beginnings, the Protestant and independent Christian communities increased gradually over the next 40 years. Before experiencing a surprising jolt of more rapid growth, all North American Protestant missionaries were expelled from Cambodia in 1965 with the rising anti-Western sentiment and many feared that the uh, nation churches uh, they left behind would fade away. Ah, But the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, will not be expelled by government edict. As it turns out, exactly the opposite happened. Brianna Wong, an expert on Cambodian Christianity, who teaches at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, said Protestantism actually exploded between 1965 and 1970, the year that the North American Protestants returned and continued growing until 1975. Well, that growth stopped uh, abruptly. In 1975, when the brutal Khmer Rouge regime came to power, supposedly working to create an agrarian egalitarian society, the Khmer Rouge terrorized Cambodians with forced relocations, violence and murder. During the Khmer Rouge time, everything from your farm to your field uh, or in your house belonged to the government. So says one pastor, remembering the fear and anguish his family endured. To pick your fruit, you had to ask the government. To kill your own chicken, to feed your family, you had to ask the government. His father, who survived, was almost executed when soldiers didn't realize he had secured permission to cook his own chicken to feed his wife, who was ill. He lost 21 relatives in the Khmer Rouge, this pastor. In the end, approximately 2 million Cambodians died during the regime, including almost all the nation's Christians. Well, after the end of the Khmer Rouge rule in 1979, Cambodian Christianity began to be birthed a second time. The few surviving believers started rebuilding their spiritual communities in Cambodia and the heavily populated refugee camps at the border. It was a great um, it was to a great extent Cambodian Christians themselves, many of whom had decided only recently to convert, who led Bible studies, carried out ministries to pastoral care and preached to large crowds of their fellow refugees. Well, celebrating the 100-year anniversary of Christianity being brought by at least Protestant missionaries to the area, popularizing the scriptures, translating, and calling Cambodians to faith in Christ, the celebration was an impressive opportunity for them to express their gratitude and to strengthen their resolve, um, as was put in the, um, uh, in the statement, it's time for the gospel to shine in Cambodia. God is at work, not only here at home, in your church, in your community, in this country, in places where you might not expect it, but he's at work in Cambodia. And the Great Commission will ultimately one day be fulfilled. And we will all stand together with our Cambodian brothers and sisters, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, declaring Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.